0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams.
1: Hello, welcome along, I'm Joe Redfern. I'm Emily Horgan. Um, We are here today uh, with uh, an internet colleague of mine, the entertainment strategy guy, who who runs a very fascinating and informative website about the media business we all operate in. You're very welcome ESG, thanks for joining us.
2: Glad to be here and talking uh, all things kids content, media, streaming, greetings. We'll see.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. Well, like I want to start you right there because streaming ratings is kind of a very contentious issue at the moment. Obviously, particularly with the strikes and all the conversation going over on going on in the in the US right now. Um, and and you know the the feeling the feeling amongst lots of the industry is that streaming is a black box and we have no visibility. And um, I have read your website once or twice. So I have a feeling you have a, a strong uh, opinion on this.
2: Yeah, I have an article that I published last year when I uh, put up my paywall, which is, I'm, I'll am just do the, put the, you know, pump my own content thing right now at entertainment.substack.com. Um, you can go there, get a free subscription or be a paid subscription and get access to a weekly report on streaming ratings. So when I was launching this paid subscription, you know, one of the articles I had to write was just a simple headline. We have streaming ratings now. Um, because I keep having conversations with people in the industry. And I mean, I've like, I think I have a story in there where it's like at a Christmas party with multiple people who work in the industry, making TV shows. And they say, you have to understand Nielsen has never tracked streaming ratings before. And I actually stay so secret. These people don't know what I do. And I have to be like, no, no, no. Like (laughs) I track them every single week. Like they Nielsen absolutely in America tracks streaming ratings. They're also not alone anymore. Uh, There are show labs by Plum Research. Samba TV also provides these. Um, These are all also uh, streaming analytics companies that cover all the streamers. So you can really make cross streamer comparisons. In addition to that, we have, you know, the increasing number of data points from the streamers themselves. Now, if someone pushes me and says, do you wish there was more data? Like, yes, I do data analysis for a living. More data is often better, especially when we have so little right now but we absolutely have streaming ratings. Now, I'm sure we're going to talk about all the different variations on this and the complexities and context, but we have streaming ratings.
1: Yeah, and that's I think that's a, that's, that's a key headline. There, there are places where you can get insights from. Um, they're not all free, they, you know what I mean? And, and the public public <laughs> resources are limited to a certain extent. Um, and I think, you know, when for, for big corporates, yeah, this is accessing some of that um, data is just part of their day-to-day business but for the smaller producers, distributors, writers, uh, and creatives and beyond um, trying to track that dorsal fin of of you know the story is 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 really valuable. Um I'd also say I feel like I say this probably three or four times a week. Yeah, but in kids um right. it's trickier again because we're a niche, right? right? And um kids content is consumed in different ways. And so like a, a lot of what I do, um, you know, and a, a lot of what we chat about and what we've chatted about over the years is trying to track at least some sort, sort of the story, in, right. some, some sort of story within kids, which is, which is tricky because you need to be a massive big dog to, to cut through. And by massive big dog, I mean, big blue dog, bluey, which is, which is a king <laughs> right now. And um, so like, and all these metrics are kind of are, are different, are like, right. you know, they come with different contexts and, and all that kind of thing. I'd love to. I just would love to 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 pick your brain on one thing because one thing that we we do see a good bit of chat on, and again, friends of ours at Flix Patrol track this a lot, right. are the trending top tens. Yep. Because for kids, Netflix has a dedicated kids trending right. top ten. How what kind of stock do you put into those to, to that metric and and trying to understand that metric? You know, is it good that it's there's something there at all, or you know, it's not scientific enough uh, for you? What t- tell us your thoughts?
2: No, it's a terrific question. Um. And if you want, I, I can go super wonky with this and just like, we'll dive like right into it. And then if I go too far down, like pull me back out or something like that. I'll send the wonky um, arm. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I love, I love really diving into what the metrics are because the other, before I answer the top 10 question, the other thing I would say, um, and I was going to shout out Flix Patrol here is one of the other problems is there is in a lot of ways, so much data that I could see for some of the independent producers out there. Who again don't have dedicated research teams, making sense of everything from parody analytics to flix patrol to Google search trends to Samba TV Nielsen. That's a, a chore in and of itself. Um, and so again, that's why I would say, you know, go to my weekly streaming ratings report where you know this would all land in your inbox for much cheaper than a Nielsen subscription. <laughs> but, you know, it has some limitations. So, anyways, back to your question about the top 10 list. I think it's a great question. Um, The data is absolutely useful with one giant caveat to start. And that is, it really depends on the exact verbiage the streaming companies use to describe what the top 10 list is. When Netflix rolled this out, um, they had had trending lists before. And if someone uses the word trending, I do not trust it because (laughs) trending could have a lot of factors going into it that the streamers themselves can influence. So I really don't trust trending metrics. If it says These are the top shows trending on there. That is not an official top 10 list. So I do not tend to trust those. Now, HBO and Hulu recently went to saying that they are doing top 10 lists of most watched content. And that is what Netflix has been putting out by country. And that's what Flix Patrol tracks. The moment someone says that their top 10 list is a most watched metric, and Prime Video, I believe, has this. Though, I actually, I always find myself writing down future articles to write. I'm going to deep dive in this in a few weeks to like confirm all the verbiage. As long as they're saying it's a most watched list, that's absolutely something you can rely on because there is some underlying metric. Um, looking at it with Netflix, I think theirs is based on views by season, but then in country, I do believe they limit it to essentially one entry per show. But I'm not—I haven't dived into that in a while. So in a lot of cases, we don't know if they're using unique customers or if they're using total hours or something like that, but it's one of those two metrics. So you can rely on that. So that is why I think you can rely on it.
0: Okay. I had a quick follow-up question on that. So when you say you think it might be one, do you mean one episode per series that they're using?
2: Uh, No, no, no. I think Netflix does it at the season level for TV shows. So they say, If like Suits season two is doing really well, then it makes the charts, but it makes it once, which prioritizes original shows or shows that have just launched because those seasons do better. And that's how they keep some of their acquired shows like Grey's Anatomy from being on that list because they have 20 seasons. So their viewership is much more spread out by the season. That's my theory. I don't have a proof on that. That's me looking at the list and trying to figure out what shows are making it in the U.S. and which ones aren't okay. for Netflix in particular.
0: Because my yeah. suspicion with tr- when it says trending is that in some ways it's operating as a, I don't know, it's it's almost kind of more of a marketing tool for Netflix than it yes. is uh, an accurate yep. measurement of exactly what's happening.
2: Right. And that's yeah. why it has to say most watch list and then you can trust it because then I believe there would be legal liability if it weren't based on one metric that they couldn't change day to day. And again, that's and does, my personal policy on it, yeah.
3: Yeah, aside from you, because it does it does seem like it's very much not an exact science and in some senses like comparing apples and oranges. Other than people like you, who who does test them in uh, in a sense that, you know.
2: Oh, like publicly? A, who keeps them le- on?
3: Yeah, legal records.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think anyone – Uh, They are, their metrics actually, their total hours viewed are uh, audited by an accounting firm, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. So Mm -hmm. there is that. If the trending metric or the most watched metric, I mean, there's no auditor as far as I can tell for any of those things. But I think there'd be such risk if that were being manipulated by the companies, if someone went public with that, that I think Mm -hmm. that risk alone is not enough not to do but
1: it'd it'd be false marketing essentially the other thing i I remember reading an article i think it was on um tv mojo vulture um you know which said there is like yes obviously there's there's incentive to game the system by the Mm -hmm. streamers but also you're never going to have a squid game if you're going to game the system right like those genuine organic pops of things that catch on are you know that they can't you know they can't totally game or they can't totally forecast are like part of the benefit of these of these systems and, and, you know, where I can see motivation to not completely gain, like and am genuine, business motivation there. That's where I take a little bit more confidence because rather than it's just out of the good of their heart to do, to do right. Um, I
2: mean, I would agree with you, except that um, there's such internal pressure when you're making originals and you're spending millions on them to have them do well compared to something cheaper that someone bought off a lark that happens to be doing well that just never downplayed the influence of those development execs, marketing teams and the whole company to be like, and I think this was really even more true uh, two or three years ago when the streaming wars were at their like going up on their apex as everyone was spending tons of money. Everyone wanted to justify that spend. So it was like, we're going to put this show we just made front and center. It's, this is more, much more for adult content, right? But we're going to put this front and center so that you have to watch it because they wanted to justify those spends so while like i agree with you but i think a lot of things have shifted to saying hey it turns out as opposed to complicated algorithms people want to know what other people are watching and just telling them that helps them find shows that people seem to like yep just is actually better than whatever complicated algorithm you think <laughs> and i think a lot of streamers are figuring that out
0: yeah because yeah. I, I could present a a, a sort of a counter argument to to what the motive might be to make something like Squid Games hit, is that uh, if Netflix could push a button that turned Squid Games into an enormous global hit, it helps motivate uh, more original um, commissioning. It also kind of puts some momentum behind maybe a kind of Korean um, series kind of... um, Um, wave of of creativity yeah Yeah. i mean it's a bit like there would be motive for if if there was a button that you a dial that youtube could turn when coco melon was starting to flourish that said okay how do we get coco melon to a billion views there would be there would be a motive behind them gaming the system i'm not saying they did but more that um (laughs) those things kind of i think there are often kind of there are arguments to to create those big Uh, organic hits.
2: right my worry more is that there's 10 other shows that they put they tried to press that button on putting them front and center Mm -hmm. when they launched and they didn't do that well yeah and i could actually like to tie it to the kids context right now right like when netflix released earlier this summer like Nomona, and i think we'll talk about this later like Nomona, and just recently the monkey king those usually land and they're like displayed like boom right on top of netflix and they're really trying to push in the kids content and then the kids are like but look here's despicable me that's 10 mm. years old now right something like that and they're trying to press the pneumonia button and kids are like but despicable me it's really funny so mm. it's a uh, it's complicated there's other issues with top 10 lists too but yeah that's
3: i think if anything has become obvious in the last few years is just how the executive's power to push that button and force <laughs> hits has been eroded Right. I don't know of a time in my career where um, kids have the power more. <laughs> yeah.
2: than Yeah, oh for sure, yeah. yeah.
1: And by
3: the, by and the way, I don't think
0: it. there is a button. I was just using that as a kind yeah. of as a metaphor.
1: No, let's stick with the button. I like the button. <laughs> no, I,
2: no, they're trying to press the button again. And like the one thing I would say that is like the button is the homepage of all the streamers. Yeah. If you have that top bar on top, that's extremely valuable real estate. And that's why the re- the new shows go up there. And there's a lot of internal debate about what goes there and that can help launch shows. But to Joe's point, is it anything like, you know, programming for PBS or Disney, like in the early two thousands, like, no, it's, it's not like that anymore. You know?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And and listen, something that's come up as we've just talked about there a bit is you know the Coco Melon factor, and, and we touched mm-hmm. on at the top was Bluey. So these are these are two of the shows that are cutting through. And Coco you know, I think was the first, um, the first kids hit to just land so hugely in in, in streaming. It, you right. know, it launched on Netflix I think, in twenty twenty. Uh, it started hitting those trending lists. That was before there was a kids trending list. People started taking note. You know, it's it had a. a obscene eye-watering streak in those trending lists. And then when the Nielsen data started breaking out right. by acquired shows in, at the start of 2021, I think was, um, Cocomelon has just been a fixture ever since. Um, right. so like what, like, you know, I know, I know you're a fan of, I know, I know you've been tracking these shows, ESG. I know you're, you're a fan of Bluey, um, like we all are. Um, yeah. what do you think producers can learn from these shows? Like what are you seeing in the distribution patterns or, or in the, the series launches or, you know, what, you know, what, 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 what can folks be learning from the way these shows
2: have hit streaming in your opinion? Yeah. Um, so I mean the biggest lesson, which is one of those ones, I'll I'll say that like to get the caveat out of the way is that, you know, if you make a good show, like uh, everything else in a lot of cases takes care of itself. And then if you want the secret for making a great show, I'll tell you offline. Um, I don't want (laughs) to give it away to everyone. Um, well, and I'm joking because obviously like if we could just press again, the button that says make, best show in america everyone would press it that button doesn't exist so that's where it gets complicated um in both cases especially coco melon's case i think um their distribution strategy was really smart for the type of content they were making um and one of the reasons both bluey and coco melon do so well and this actually ties back to our discussion on top 10 lists, uh, with nielsen in particular they measure total hours viewed so that metric um, really biases towards kids content that gets rewatched a lot, a lot of times with some caveats. Um, we definitely, and this is like, I always try to remind people when they talk about the scale of opportunity with kids shows, especially if people don't work in the kids space, that um, you just have to remember that kids are only 5% of the population. So if your show is targeted for three to five year olds, that I think is even like, what, 2% of the population something. So I always remind people because they think that then the scale of opportunity is the same as an adult show that goes to say 80% of the population. I'm like, no, no, by definition now, it's like 20 times smaller. Right. Um, I just always like to remind people cause they, they sometimes forget that piece. Right. So as long as you remember that, um, that's why most kids shows tend not to make the Nielsen total hours view chart just cause there's less kids to watch it. Right. Yeah. Um, but where, they do benefit as kids rewatch the same piece of content over and over and over again. So on the film list, it actually biases towards certain kids' titles that kids rewatch over and over again. Um, Bluey and Coco Melon, the main reason they've made the acquired charts, especially Coco Melon, is that that show just gets rewatched constantly, especially mm-hmm. among, we're talking like maybe even sub two year old content, right? Two oh, to yeah. five year old, just getting rewatched constantly. But the thing I think Melon did, and this is like a lesson for all producers, is they were very platform agnostic initially. Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: so it's circa what they started, obviously, on YouTube, but then they were selling content. So they're making money and they put it initially. I believe it was on Hulu, Prime Video and Netflix. Yeah. And I believe it's now
0: on the BBC. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's still on the BBC, I think. And they had, I think, Universal Kids here in the U.S. was running it on linear, um, and so I've taken to calling that a, a dual cast strategy, so both traditional linear broadcast and a streaming catch up. And Bluey actually did the same thing. So Bluey still got the Disney Channel, Disney Junior push here in the U.S. And yeah, they had that globally as
1: well, Plus. which I think is, I, I think is actually one of the reasons Bluey, you know, managed to ride the wave of Disney yes. Plus because it had. So you, Linear first, actually. Right. And kids'
2: viewership on linear channels has definitely collapsed over time. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's plummeted compared to what it was. But um, so even compared to five years ago, I, I wouldn't recommend that as much. But if you can get more Windows that's definitely not a bad thing, uh, here in the U S as well. Um, PBS kids is a lot of times forgotten when we talk about the kids streaming mm. wars. but again, mm. all their content is essentially dual cast by nature. Cause their apps game is also very strong with a lot of kids watching it. So again, I really like the dual cast strategy if you can do it and, or the non-exclusive distribution amongst the streamers. If you're truly an independent, uh, kids show out there
0: yeah and the
1: the non-exclusive distribution is always going to hit your bottom line you're not going to be getting the same revenue and then it becomes a bit more about the franchise game
0: yeah well it is
1: that's it that was
3: exactly what i was going to say that's that's the franchise playbook you know you almost have to give it away and put it everywhere if you've got a a hope of monetizing in two three years time with a franchise strategy on the back end
1: yeah and I suppose the question is you know what what's the, the scale of that I mean I, I know ESG, you've got a slide that I'm a big fan of because that's the type of thing I'm a fan of yeah. <laughs> not a football not a football team I'm a fan of a slide with data <laughs> um that uh, kind of shows I know it's 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 a film focused slide and it's mm-hmm. I, I, it's not kids focused either but you know the the franchise the franchise side of thing is is such a big bet you know because yeah. if you forego that distribution revenue you know even, even Year one, year two, year three of franchise, you're still not necessarily in profitability because you have, you know, marketing campaigns that need to be serviced. You know, if I think of say, for example, Gabby's Dollhouse, like even though it's been huge, I wouldn't, you know, is it profitable by by year three? It's getting there. It's got a great future ahead of it. It's not going anywhere, and they're looking down the barrel end of a you know a great ride. But you know, year two, year three, it's still, you know, you're still in that work workhorse mode. Um, Yeah so it's kind of like that kind of sense check as to what that scale of opportunity can be and how many real franchises at that scale can be serviced in kids content at any one time.
2: Yeah. And I think the number of people competing in the kids space is also making it tougher. Um, because, uh, I think, again, I like to think back to this world of the early two thousands, right. When it's like cable revenue wasn't sort of at its peak, but I think, you know, it was pre-streaming. So it was like looking at it back then you really had, and and I'm going to use the American example. I understand we have a lot of, you know, uh, global listeners on this one, but I'm more, I'm the most familiar with the American channels. I assume that England has a bunch of channels as well. And I know their names because now all the shows come over here, but uh, (laughs) in America, for example, it really was like Disney channel, Nickelodeon, and then you had a uh, cartoon network was emerging into that and PBS kids, right? As most of the broadcast channels pulled out and then you had theaters. So the way to look at that, it's like, okay, we really had five major people fighting for that, like kids space. Now, all those in a way still exist. Plus you have Netflix. Um, and then you have YouTube fighting for this. So, you know, and that's even if I'm like not forgetting someone, cause you know, everyone seems to be coming in and tries to get the kids content. So I think it's fiercer. Um, When it comes to long-term revenue, you mentioned the chart about film declines over time. Sorry about that. Um, It's one of the favorite charts I've made, although I'm actually going to make a big update to it because I think in some cases it's misleading. But to describe it, I basically took all the windows that a film could come out and make money and then showed that when something goes to streaming only essentially you're asking to replace what was formerly 25% of the revenue or something like that into like 95% of the revenue. And when you just think about it, you're like is streaming that much more valuable than all those previous windows for theatrical films. And my obvious implication is like, no, it's not. And so instead of believing that it gets bigger, it's actually probably going to get smaller. So that's going to shrink the franchise revenue opportunities. The one caveat to that is, I think, the licensing and merchandising piece, which, you know, when we use franchise, a lot of times we mean those ancillary Mm. sell-through. I haven't seen a lot of evidence that that market has actually been growing. If anything, in some cases, it's shrinking because the toys, in the cases, are increasingly moving digital, you know, and the digital games don't make quite as much money, which is funny because a lot of people, when they advocated that Disney go to the Disney Plus model, they were like, they should lose a fortune on it and they'll make it up in t-shirts. And I was like, they already make it up in t-shirts. Plus they were making money in linear. So (laughs) I think that's the big one. Um, The question, you know, long-term for the values, we really don't have a lot of standalone kids brands that are out there. Um, So, you know, we know Moonbug that owned Coco Melon got sold for, what was it, around 3 billion, but that was two years ago (laughs) with interest rates the way they are are they still going to make that? Did they even make that much? Um, The other one though, that I think is like more fascinating, which I keep bringing up because not enough people, like I think paid attention in early August was that entertainment one sold to to Lionsgate, but Hasbro kept all essentially the kids brands, which is smart because those are like the most valuable pieces. And so in 2019, that was worth about 4 billion and sans all the kids content. They sold for 500 million in 2023, four years later. So then yeah. the question is like, were all the kids' brands worth 3.5 billion together? Probably not. Um, but how much of those come down? Say they were worth like 2 billion now. I don't know. And some of those have brands like Peppa Pig or PJ Masks. Yeah. Are like some of the best in the game. So to tie it all the way back to what is the revenue opportunity? The one thing I think the slide says is that the best people who are positioned are probably the owners of something like Gabby's Dollhouse. Because if they really can build it into a franchise, DreamWorks still owns the rights to that. So they could go make a movie that presumably Netflix would have to buy from them. Or they can make spinoffs and then Netflix would have to buy those. The challenge is with the streaming model, Netflix essentially pays for it once and that's the only time they pay for it. Even back in the streaming day, if a show did well it was on the air for like you know years after that and you could sell home entertainment and all those subsequent windows and then when streaming came along you could sell spongebob like as an example of a show that was on the air constantly to another person to collect another paycheck the challenge with franchises going forward is those other paychecks are going to be harder and harder to get
0: yeah and you got to imagine the netflix at the they're going to have mixed feelings with the success of Gabby because the more yeah. successful it becomes, the more they'll start to think, "Oh, maybe we should have gone all in rather." Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Um, yeah.
3: And, and 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 I know we're pr- primarily talking about video and and streaming here, but in terms of that that L and M revenue, which historically was tied to video and and streaming. Yes, I think it's under pressure. But you look at the amount of UGC and limited items that is being mm-hmm. sold in Roblox, which is emerging as a right. super powerful marketplace. And I think we're going to see revenues from that area increase hugely yep. soon. And again, very difficult to track. But I wonder if that is part of the reason that someone like well, the, the, the Mattels and, and Hasbro's are holding on to those IP because yeah, I,
2: I think it's a great point. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think it'll definitely shift digitally. Um, we're also going to see more kids' games. I know the Bluey game came out a little while ago. It has certain like subscription charges to it, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's a valuable model as well. And, you know, when some kids find that game, they're going to want to be all over it. But I think the Roblox example is perfect. I think there's other like game integrations uh, for kids that can definitely happen. Um, it's just, I think, not quite the same as when you had like all the figures taking over again in the early 2000s. But we're still seeing that. The one bright spot there is we're still seeing that with uh, some of the theatrical releases.
0: Yeah. I mean, I found, as a producer, I found it fascinating when we were talking about Gabby because uh, part of the thing, one of the things that comes up a lot on the podcast is the difficulty of marketing a new show on one of the streaming platforms, so particularly for kids, is that, a lot of times, those shows tend to get lost in the mix. But you had, you've got an example with Gabby, where you've got a studio that has a lot of power in their own right, so they can DreamWorks can put a lot of investment into marketing that show right. and making it a hit and pre publicity before launch that really kind of helps that show. But I just don't know if those options are available to smaller series producers, and I think that's. Maybe maybe for kids, you're getting into that area where you need a big studio to be able to kind of back the the show alongside the platform as well.
2: Yeah, I think it always helps. I would also say YouTube, you know, like doing the test episodes there, trying to get them out. I'm also pretty bullish on the uh, fast channels, free ad-supported streamers like Pluto yeah. or Toomey or Subo. Uh, I think I mixed Tooby and Sumo. Mm -hmm. um i'm actually i still think one of the biggest misses and i think there's some royalty issues for why they don't but i actually still think one of the biggest misses amongst this video on demand streamers like disney plus is the fact they just don't have a bluey channel running and a spidey and his amazing friends channel if there's a Mm -hmm. fast channel that i could just like the kids could browse and just click on it it just saves you having to go through spidey and his amazing friends and I'm clearly not talking from personal experience, here. <laughs> scrolling over, finding which ones. Oh, I don't want to watch that one. I want it versus just like Disney Plus go.
1: is the worst for selecting episodes for preschoolers. It is like and, the worst. Just show me all the episodes, Disney Plus. Just show me all the episodes. And just you can't go backwards
2: story. to see. You can't go backwards when you click on it to see like you have to go. You have to search now for it. I, know. Um, I would also just say it's like, hey, you guys have all these Mickey Mouse cartoons. And you should just figure out a way to put them all in order somewhere so I can just scroll through Mickey Mouse. But anyway, so I think the fast are a big opportunity because linear viewing, again, I think a lot of times uh, and I speak from a, as a parent, like we try and select shows for our kids to watch when half the time it's like just click it and it goes on. And so if you are an independent producer and you're trying to build that brand, the fast channels in a lot of cases would be possibly work with you and it, it's an option I would consider as well for a way to get it out there again if you're going that non-exclusive build the franchise route sort of like Coco I,
3: I you you raise a good point about curation there because we've come through this era of unprecedented choice and mm-hmm. now we're seeing the pendulum swing back to people wanting some degree of curation take right. that pressure of choice yeah. away from
1: Unprecedented and choice and unprecedented algorithm, I'd say, Joe. Do you know what I mean? It's all just being yeah. in the algo's hands.
3: And but but I, I'm reminded when you just said that about a um, a Bluey channel. You know, early on in the days of Peppa Pig, and and what gave it a huge boost were the weekend takeovers on Nick yeah. Jr. Yeah, it was Wall to wall Peppa no, Pig.
0: No, no, but, not not yep. just um, weekend takeovers. Yeah, they took over the a month. Peppa it was like I was <laughs> there. It's crazy. Yes, yeah, right.
1: yeah. it was like the og fast channel I mean, like even, nick even nick jr 2 was just the peppa pig channel for the month and it just killed completely i mean even
2: <laughs> spongebob back in the day was doing that again early 2000 i remember reading the articles about how much spongebob was actually on nickelodeon at the time
0: yeah, and
2: spongebob again channel. that's because like if you're just going to see what's on You click on it and it's a show and but the the benefit with fast channels is you're not limited by just one nickelodeon now
0: like you know you could essentially make
2: five or six of those and then you just go by usage and how you arrange them like there's obviously an upper limit if you made ten thousand channels but it's not like in the day where you only had nickelodeon and nick jr disney disney xd disney jr you have all these options so Fast channels is is one I'm I'm definitely keeping my eye on. I think uh, they'll never make quite as much money as linear channels of old, just because the local monopolies and the affiliate fees, like here in the U.S., will never be the same. But I think you could really see some usage pickup, and we've seen that in some of the streaming charts. They're, they really are growing.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the thing about that's what's frustrating is that it's that discovery piece, right? It's trying like we, we, we know particularly younger kids are neophobic. They sometimes have to watch something two or three times before they're into it. And then they are in, you know, right. but it's, it takes that, you know, it's not, it's not that, um, binge watch model that applies to, pe- to grown ups, right? Like, it's not like you launch it on the channel and then you look at the 28 day, um, results and then that's it. Uh, and in a way I think we've kind of seen that with elemental recently that, you know, it came out, you know, the, the feedback was, was maybe a bit mixed, um, I think that, I think it was the the critics feedback wasn't the most positive, but actually right. it's stoned the guns on a, on audience, on audience feedback audiences really, really like it. Kids actually specifically really, really like it. So it's that kind of thing where <laughs> it's a grower, not a shower, but <laughs> yeah, you know, it needs time to grow itself and, 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 kids need time to kind of catch on like not, not time to catch on. That's, that's doing a disservice, but you know, it, it's, it's time to connect, I guess, uh, and, and to see something grow those legs and elemental. I, I was looking at, at details for it now. It's, you know, it was the, you know, the third Disney date was released on that one, 26.4 yep. million views that the, the highest one by far so far, I think it was, it was, uh, the little mermaid was 16 million, 16 million and uh, a was 14 million. So 26.4 is like, well, the point four is obviously very important in that, but like it's yep. well above <laughs> those. Um, and then we've seen that also happening in theaters because, you know, it's still there bringing in money and it's it's not done as bad as, you know, the, the, the Pixar is Dead story isn't necessarily true with Elemental. It felt true to begin with, but it isn't true, you know, when we step back.
2: Yeah. Um, know, I, I just been... jump
3: in before we <laughs> yeah, stop Because just in a way that it, it just... Highlights again there where kids have the power. Here's <laughs> grown ups, and I was wanting to know. We need to know. Is this a hit? And kids are like, "Hang on a minute, we haven't decided yet." <laughs> and, and now we know.
0: Yeah, and, I, and and I'm particularly pleased because you know when we were doing uh, predictions for the year, my one prediction was <laughs> that Elemental was going to change the fortunes of Pixar and be the and be the big hit so when it came out first of all and and completely had a kind of more i'm going
1: back to check that i'm going back to check
0: that andy i'll I'll find it but when it first came out i thought maybe i'll keep that prediction to myself it doesn't look (laughs) like it's going to do the numbers
2: you're like yeah don't bring it up um it's a funny data case because um i always had this thing again back in my previous life when i worked at a streamer is that i hated first day numbers for shows because if and this happened a couple times where there would be a mistake calculating the data so a show would look low and then three days later we had to tell everyone like well we were wrong it turns out it rebounded and then (laughs) half the people would be like no it flopped like no man it rebounded and then a week later sometimes a show would start out slow and a week later it was like growing but that first impression people have is like really hard to break yeah um And so like if I ran a streamer, I almost wouldn't let anyone look at the data until we had 28 days worth of data so that if a show built up over time, it's like you had that. Now, that rule would never work. No one would ever follow it. I am like, you wouldn't follow it yourself. You would (laughs) be
1: looking at the data and go, no, it's allowed to look.
2: But if you wait till 28 days, you get to see because then a lot of times you can tell if a show is like growing. And I think. Elemental is a perfect example. My one caution with this, though, and I've been pushing this a lot recently in some of my reports when it comes to some weekly shows that have picked up over time. And the example I'm using on the adult side is Hijack, is that uh, once you give uh, the decision makers, either the executives in charge, the development executive marketing, an example of a show that started out slow and did late, every show that starts out slow and does late, everyone's like, but look, it could be the next Elemental. And it's like, yeah, but Haunted Mansion was not the next element. Haunted (laughs) Mansion just is gone. Right. So you get that excuse a lot. And I actually had a research exec email me and and said the exact same story in a different context. He's like, everyone would be like, let's wait till we get the L plus seven data to see if the live numbers are wrong. And, you know, 90% of the time, the live numbers or the initial weekend is what something is. That said, Mm -hmm. I think elemental, to your point, it got, I think, an A cinema score. I did not look that up. So don't quote me on that. But that's, you know, an A cinema score is very good. So I think customers who actually went and saw it did like it. So it had that tail. And, you know, when something's popular and theatrical, this has been my big theme for the year. This is I have a big series about how straight to streaming films do not do as well as theatrical films when it comes to streaming viewership. And we don't have the elemental data yet, but um, you know, the data that they put out about that 26.4 million indicates that. Disney also said, cause I was just pulling, collecting this data, that it's the biggest launch as well since Hocus Pocus 2 and Little Mermaid and Black Panther were also described that way. So it's among those top four. If those hours are true, we can expect something in America it'll be probably one of the top 10 launches of all time on streaming. Now that will not be because of unique viewers. That'll be because of all the rewatch. But um, Mm -hmm. I actually have this, my one of my leading indicators now is my uh, son's daycare, which Mm -hmm. my daughter used to attend. And when, (laughs) when it's pickup time starting at four o'clock, they put on a movie just to keep the kids like on the couch and like sane. And you can almost track the Nielsen kids charts by like, or what does well on there by what movie grabs that slot. And so like Moana held that slot for like half a year or something like that. They, they watch that <laughs> one constantly. And some of these past Pixar films have not been able to grab that slot, like Lightyear, Strange World. Like they got a run, but they didn't hold it. Elementals actually held that slot now since it came out on Disney+. Plus. So you're going to see that rewatch with the show. And so I, I'm really excited to get the viewership for it.
3: And you you are going to create a chart around this, right? Your uh, daycare chart of movies.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll do a daycare chart. I'll like write down what they're watching every day. But see, and actually, funny, they start most mornings with PBS Kids as well. So that's you know,
0: it's that's interesting. Where is. The the theatrical yeah. thing reminds me. We had a, a guest on that said something that, about the research with kids, where if they see it in kind of the real world outside of the streaming mm-hmm. platform then it kind of, it matters more to them. It's kind of more real. And I wonder whether um, theatrical and cinema has that effect on um, on movies when they then come to streaming. It kind of, it feels like more of a genuine movie that it's existed outside of the streamer.
2: I mean, I haven't seen that. And I apologize, I didn't listen to that episode. I totally buy that theory, again, based on the data I'm seeing. I also think the marketing push cannot be underestimated because a lot of people ask me like is what you're seeing when theatrical films do better on streaming is that because they have some intrinsic theatrical quality or is it because of the marketing push and my answer is always with everything is like both yeah more causes is actually more likely um but i've actually seen a little bit of evidence as well that um and i'm hearing from more and more people that they're saying like with kids like seeing movies in the theater actually does become an event and kids actually still enjoy going to theater. You know, as of five years ago when streaming was the future and nothing in the past was going to survive the streaming apocalypse, right? People almost pretended like going to theaters was like an unenjoyable activity for some Mm -hmm. reason. When kids actually love it, they're in a big dark room. It's loud. The sound is much louder. um, And then they see, you know, the other one we're seeing now is we there's a ton of billboards here in America for the Paw Patrol movie. And so yeah. my son has been waiting now, although he keeps thinking we're going to see it tomorrow because um, <laughs> he has no conception of time. And he's like, what is taking so long for this movie to come out? Because we're passing a billboard every day. Um, but I think it does, it makes it bigger and it makes it more real. And then I think you also, you know, get to essentially charge people for a ticket to the theater, which in america or at least in los angeles is in most cases if our family is what worth four netflix monthly subscriptions and then they're buying it at home or they're seeing it again on the streamer later so you get those multiple windows to monetize it and then the tie back to the licensing and merchandising the experience i had i don't think it's changed since i was like deep into this world is that most people most of the consumer products people still want a guaranteed marketing campaign so that they know that something's going to hit before they go all in. Um, Most of the streamers for kids shows and even kids films are not providing that. So, you know, we're going to keep seeing way more Mario brothers toys than we're going to see like Nimona or the monkey king because we know what that marketing was going to get. It ended up being a smash, but they knew it was going to get that marketing ahead of time.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. And like it, it is. It's tough for those straight to streaming films, you know, to cut through. But though at the same time, I think Netflix has been on a bit of a bum run with those. You know, I I really like Nimona. I think Nimona is a, like a great film. Um, age targeting is a bit uh, it's a bit trickier, right? Because it's yeah. older and and, and and cutting through with older kids, they just have so much more on. Um, but the Monkey King certainly didn't hit. I mean, Netflix hasn't had a re- a real decent animated hit since the Sea Beast april
2: of last year right yeah and then the other two big of their own produced ones i think it was summer last year right july for cbs but of their own produced ones i think that's their biggest hit of like the last year and a half um and then before that they had some of the sony titles like uh vivo and mitchell's then the mitchell's but yeah and it, it gets tough but and that ties back to the other thing you know if if a show's good it it, or movies good it'll tend to like do very well anyways but the lack of the marketing just makes um and the turnover is so quick on there that if something doesn't pop really quick i think it's it falls right off i'm actually the number i've been pushing out there that I'm, i'm super curious about is super mario brothers i believe will be on netflix in america in december because it has a four-month lag from when it came out on peacock and super mario's numbers were not fantastic for all the streaming but that's because they were on peacock so peacock just doesn't have as big a platform here in the u.s Mm -hmm. yet but i'm fascinated to see how well super mario brothers does when it moves to netflix especially in december which is uh we see a rise in viewership during the spring break or during the christmas break period
1: yeah, it'll be interesting. But like, I was a bit disappointed with Minions Two. Minions Two didn't necessarily have the longevity of like a Sing Two mm-hmm. or whatever on the right. in, on those U.S. numbers. And I think that's you know that kind of unicorn film in streaming, which we saw during the pandemic with Luca and with right. Turning Red with Encanto, yeah. was like the ultimate you, yeah. pe- pegacorn. Uh, <laughs> um, you know. Other than Sing 2, we haven't seen that from a theatrically released movie. So whereas I'd say to you, I like, I agree that streaming only movie is like theatrical is additive. It's trying to, it's trying to find the, you know, that special sauce that you were going to tell us about after the show that yeah, makes it yep. like a real long-term, you know, engagement driver and kind of that, that the appetite for it is just seems to be endless. Um, yeah.
2: On, yeah. Of the Disney films, I think, when we're if we're talking like the that super 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 long longevity the ones we've seen has been Moana, Encanto, the Frozen films and actually we haven't seen it make the top 10 charts as much but it's actually made some of the year-end charts is Zootopia.
1: Yeah well. and Coco Coco is also pretty. Yeah,
2: Coco but if yeah. you want to know why Disney's making sequels to I think three of those and then I think an Encanto sequel feels inevitable it's like <laughs> Those are the ones that reach that even higher tier that Disney was known for for all those years, which is just like massive rewatch phenomenons. Yeah. And Encanto is the best example of that in recent time. So to your point, Sing 2 actually did very well in that as well.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a bit, one of the, like a major benefit for Disney of going in on streaming is they now have data to demonstrate how well their legacy titles currently perform. Whereas before right. they would be able to say, yeah, we sold a load of mono D- DVDs back in you know, right. 2016 or whenever it came out they have no way of tracking how much those dvds are watched but now they can they can say listen i know it's a you know nearly a decade old film but it's still relevant for kids today and we can show right. you
2: yeah
1: and then in terms of like licensing so this this exclusive this the exclusivity kind of question and and whether you know you license your shows to a single or, or platform or multiple platforms so like what is your ultimate like We talked about it is is it try try every like try the everything everywhere all at once strategy and 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 go with that. How would do you have any ultimate ultimate advice for for small smaller kids producers?
2: Yeah, so the reason if you're a smaller kids producer, and I'm going to say this, and then if someone's staring at like a you know profit and loss budget and like trying to make the day to day, I could see them looking at me and be like, "Hey, taking the paycheck is like worth it." So like you don't know Mm -hmm. what you're talking about. And I, I have no rebuttal to you because, like, been there, like those the those profit and loss statements, like again, like unlike, say, some of the major streamers, in particular, like two of the big tech companies, right, where like money means nothing, right? I like to remind everyone that, like, actually, the thriftiest people, money does mean something. I still tend to say if you think something, you know, to use the term is toyetic. Um, And that's always I am the beholder because like Bluey now looks to be Toyetic, though I don't think you would have described it that way when it first came out, because it wasn't like some of the other, you know, kids based properties where it's like there's four heroes, each with a different color, different weapon in a vehicle. Right. Which is like obviously designed for the toy sales in mind. Um, But if you do think something has that potential as a franchise and. That's where internally, if you have multiple stakes, you have to like understand that. I do recommend the non-exclusive strategy unless you're going to get tons of guaranteed. And the only reason is for the adult side, I wouldn't say that as much, especially because if you can get something on Netflix and it hits, it really can be something big for you. I just don't think we've seen that on the kids side for Netflix. So like the number of true franchises that have come out of that and been able to launch toys I just don't think we've seen because there's so much turnover there, um, and then Disney Plus. You Disney Plus, I think you could do a little bit more. Although then even Disney, so much of their focus is on their own internally owned things, yeah. and really, it that's the fascinating thing about Bluey is that it happens to be an acquired show, and that's much yeah. more the outlier for them than it is the standard for them.
1: Ooh, I'm not sure I yeah. agree with you on that because PJ Masks was Disney yeah, as well, yeah. and, and and ditto yeah. miraculous
2: yeah but Sorry, then miraculous is also with the subject <laughs> yeah but miraculous is also non-exclusive um being on multiple platforms right isn't disney yeah. the u.s and then also netflix
1: yeah well so, once everything is old enough it, then they yeah. you know exclusivity windows pass et cetera, or they're not renewed and, and, and guarantees aren't made but initially also, also to point out roblox as well miraculous is killing it miraculous on
2: so then, I, yeah. I mean, and that's also because if you're non-exclusive, I think the YouTube channel is very important as well.
1: Yeah,
3: that, for sure. that
2: requires its own gaming and its own ability to get up those algorithms and it has its own problems. But I would tend to go non-exclusive if you're trying to build a long-term brand. If you have a show and you just want to see how it goes, then, yeah, I would sell it. But I would try and get that dual cast model if possible, sell a linear window and then sell the second streaming window mm-hmm. if possible. Again, that's shrinking over time. Probably it's going to be irrelevant in a little bit, but, you know, those channels still exist, and while they exist, I would do
0: it. Yeah, and I, and I, I think those, that's good advice. I mean, I think some of those decisions will sort of get taken out of the hands of the producers anyway to some extent because I think right. the era of, um, you know, the, the age of Netflix fully funding um, kids' series um, in the way that they have done over the years, I think th- those th- opportunities are going to become a bit rarer. Uh, right. So I yeah. think people are going to have to be looking for to put together that financial jigsaw puzzle to fund their show yeah. um, in 100%. a creative way.
3: Hundred percent, yeah. In terms of, uh, I, I know I'm coming back to Roblox again, but we're we're talking very much about streaming, but we're also yeah. talking about how kids' content will only or is is much more likely to pop if it is across multiple platforms from as early as possible. How how broad does your purview extend into that other platform realm like Roblox and YouTube?
2: So um, it's really limited right now, especially off the streaming data, because I, I only use publicly available data for the most part. And we just, especially for YouTube, we don't have, besides their own self-reported metrics, we don't have a lot of data And I actually haven't taken the time to really dive into the YouTube numbers. Um, Partially it's because I do think they are inflated by traffic from like bots, which is something uh, a few years ago, there were a lot of articles about how a lot of internet traffic is driven by bots and in one case there was executives at youtube saying it could have been up to 50 percent of the people (laughs) on their platform were actually bots trolling it and they were worried that the search algorithm was going to start prioritizing bots since they were a majority and there was a new york magazine article about this and so i like really tend to cut youtube numbers like in half i cut Mm -hmm. tiktok numbers in my head down by about 90 percent (laughs) um so and i recommend everyone else whenever you hear those numbers do the same thing so i haven't been able to dive into the youtube just because that would like require if i had a research team you could do that roblox is even more of a black box because i don't think they publish things like data but if they started publishing it it would be something i would absolutely take into account Um, and then the other benefit would be if we got more data from all the different streamers out there providing viewership data, but I think we're going to get there. It's just going to take time. Yeah.
0: More data, please. Yeah. I had one question. Just wanted to circle back on Disney actually, and just get your thoughts on whether, whether they've got some challenges in terms of how they're managing their franchises um, and, and whether you had any thoughts on the live action remakes
2: yeah um okay so with disney especially focused on the kids side um the health of the kids side i think requires both reinforcing the core brands but also launching new brands that really resonate with customers a few years ago i made a tracker called uh The princess launch index it sounds super complicated (laughs) but it was just tracking how often they'd made a new princess and um you could see up to the launch of Moana they were actually very good at they'd launched Tiana then they had Brave then they had Elsa and Anna who I've heard are very popular
1: and Uh, uh,
2: Rapunzel yeah Rapunzel so it was like they were back on the princess creation index and then it like culminated in Moana and basically since then they haven't been able to launch a new princess. So not to get reductive on it, but I think going back sometimes to the fairy tale roots for Disney is a pretty strong thing. Instead, I think we know that one of their strategies in this, like, say, streaming budget challenging era is they're going back to the Frozen Zootopia Toy Story well again, which I just, you know, I always want to be launching new franchises because again, or like, because essentially in Kanto, I think, you could almost consider those like princesses. They're not in like the official stance, Understood. but I think they they move, they move material like that. They can show up at the parks. I think they will show up at the parks. So they need, like for lack of a better word, they need more hits like that. And I think Elemental fills a place like Zootopia, that it's a big world that's very colorful, that kids seem to like. So I think they're stronger in that standpoint. That said, I really think, as the ux if we were just complaining about it for disney plus they really need to make sure they're optimizing that user experience for kids so they can keep launching kids brands there and not essentially going just to the same well and then kids burning out and going somewhere else
1: or parents burning out of going back to that episode and being like it's okay i'm just going to put on netflix this is too annoying
2: (laughs) yeah i've stopped letting my son pick shows because sometimes it's like no i can just pick something and you end up still watching it but I'm not watching Spidey and his amazing friends again. Oh <laughs> we do a lot of Spidey. I, I tried to do the star Wars one and he's like, let's go back to
1: start Spidey. with the all-star shorts. That's my, that's my advice. Okay. Sorry. We're digressing. Into yeah, it's it.
2: becoming like a kind of parenting a of small children.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, It's like a therapy session.
2: Yeah. We're also huge group friends, but I mean, overall, I, I'm not too worried about Disney. I mean, I think, uh, I'm not too worried about Disney kids is what I'll say. I actually have a lot more concerns on the adult side of the house. I actually think they haven't been able there. If you take out the live action remakes and the Marvel and Star Wars, their theatrical run has not actually been as strong. Now they would say it's like, but you can't just take those out. Those all still matter. And I'll probably do a refresh on their brands towards the end of the year. Cause I looked at Marvel last year for them, but overall on the kids side, like I, I still think, they have the brands i mickey mouse is still number one and that's actually a subtle one that i think we forget in the kids space a lot of times is that you know the one thing disney is very smart about there's always a mickey mouse cartoon on and it tends to almost always do pretty well it goes up and down there's like ebbs and flows but you know in that young brand it's there and then Mm -hmm. he's so iconic afterwards that you know that's why i believe i i I haven't had toy sales data at my disposal for a while, but I believe he's still the number one selling uh, merch- franchise or character globally, or at least for sure in America slash Europe. So I know Pokemon rivals in there, depending how you mm-hmm. tell it, so.
1: Interesting. Yeah, the mouse. Mm. Yeah,
2: a yeah. whole other
1: episode. Do we That's why you get came on to have
2: the- me say, is it Mickey Mouse is popular? And then everybody <laughs> knows, that guy knows what he's talking about
1: that was that's been really fun yes you thank you there's been like so much meat there
2: well thank you for having me um happy to talk streaming ratings in the future i feel like we just just touched that there's so many things coming on and then maybe you know elementals coming out so we'll all talk and see how well it is that's that's one of those numbers i'm really curious to see how big it is in the u.s um,
3: and we definitely need to revisit mario at christmas when it comes to streaming too
2: that's a good uh, good Mario is going to be a big one, so.
3: Mm, I agree.
0: Great. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we did recording it. And if you like this episode, please subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be back soon with more Kids Media Chats. Until then, keep listening and take care.